Welcome to the Prosperous Mother podcast, helping single moms transform their finances so they can achieve financial freedom in their own way by working through the mindset and emotional blocks that can be scary to face. I'm Natalie Marie and I'll be showing you how choosing yourself creates generational wealth well beyond money. So I cannot believe that I'm already on episode five of my podcast, The Prosperous Mum, Prosperous Mother even. Um, And this week, I want to talk about financial planning for us single mums. So a year into my financial freedom journey, I had increased my income a little, which allowed me to have breathing space and think beyond making my monthly debt payments. I started thinking about what I wanted my foundation within my financial freedom journey to look like. Now, I knew at this point, having an emergency fund and being free of high interest debt was crucial, but I hadn't thought about anything beyond that. At the time, I was homeless with two young children and surviving a day at a time was my capacity. Anything more than that would cause me anxiety because I felt my life was a shambles. However, creating a side hustle allowed me to dream and write down those goals. So I thought about what I wanted my financial situation to look like. I wanted financial stability. I wanted to be self-sufficient and not have to rely on or ask anything. However, 10 years later, 10 years later, and now I'm asking for help as a form of self-love, but I'll dig into that another day. I wanted my children to be set financially. I wanted to have a fully funded 12 month emergency fund, which I managed to achieve. And I wanted to ensure that if I was to die before my children became adults, that whoever would look after them would be set financially to do so without a struggle. I decided to do some financial planning and I created a financial family plan that got me from where I was to where I wanted to be in five years time. Now it took me a little longer than five years to create financial stability, but I'm grateful to myself for having some of these things set up already before I became homeless. For instance, I've always had a pension since I was 19 years old. So retirement was never been and will not be an issue for me. However, creating investments for my children, I started very much later in their childhoods and I don't regret doing so. The best way to approach a plan is to focus on one thing at a time before moving on to the next. I know it sounds slow, but you will get there a lot quicker doing it this way. Multitasking is a myth. And it just takes you around in circles without you ever completing the task at hand. So the first one is in your plan, you should have one of your goals should be having an emergency fund. Now, your emergency fund is your security and safety net against unplanned job losses and any unexpected costs you may classify as emergencies. The rule of thumb is to have a minimum of three to six months of worth of expenses saved in your emergency fund. However, I'll go as far as to say that your emergency fund should have the amount you feel comfortable about. Now, as a single mother myself, a six month fully funded emergency fund makes me feel financially secure. And that's because I've analyzed my financial situation, my spending habits, the children's behavior around telling me when they need new items, which is always last minute. But most importantly, I'm self-aware. 
I know my limitations. I'm terrible when it comes to life admin. The posts will stay in a pile in three places in my home for about a couple of months before I will open the letters and file them away. Sometimes this results in me having to pay for something at a higher price because I missed the discounted deadline. But my emergency fund takes care of this, so I'm rarely in a panic. With that being said, at the time of doing this, we're in a recession and the autumn statement has been released. And if you're in my private Facebook group, you will know that yesterday I broke down the autumn statement and my conclusion was Jeremy Hunt is chatting a load of bollocks <laughs> and it is full of, the statement is full of illusions, smoke and mirrors. And so if you research what Jeremy Hunt has state, stated in his statement, his figures and um, if you research the figures that was that we were supposed to be achieving this year you kind of had some sense some idea that this recession which they're trying to avoid calling it will be here right up until 2025. So an emergency fund with 12 months expenses during this time is ideal however it's totally up to you and what you feel secure with. Now, the way to build your emergency fund is to first decide how much you want in your fund and then decide how you will be funding this. You'll be depositing a lump sum or will you be making weekly or monthly payments until you reach your goal? A little tip here, however much you've decided to put in your emergency fund, whether it's three, six or 12 months worth of expenses, never worry about how long it will take you. This will lead to full disempowerment. What you need to do is focus on making consistent payments. Congratulate yourself each time you do it and keep it moving. It's unrealistic to think you'll save six months worth of expenses overnight. This stage of your finances is supposed to take time. You'll also want to decide whether your emergency fund would include luxuries or will it just be bare bones? Meaning, bare bones meaning is it literally just a rental mortgage, the bills and grocery? And there isn't a right or wrong answer. You just need to do what's right for you. Now, to make saving for your emergency fund easier, you want to automate your payments into your emergency fund. You want to do this by setting up a standing order the same day your salary hits your account. Now, the best place to hold your emergency fund is in a high interest savings account that is easily accessible. Because if any emergencies arise, you want to be you want to have easy access to that to that account. You don't want it to be where you're having to wait three to five working days. Or you don't want it to put it in bonds where you know they're in they could be in the bond for three to six nine months um before they mature so you want it to be where you can get the cash out the same day um and so for example you know one of my savings accounts is in a different bank account than my main current account it has high interest but it provides access to funds within 24 hours next one on your financial plan you should be thinking about is your retirement now, I've been paying into a pension since I started my accounting career 14 years ago. And the financial director in my first ever accounting role booked me an appointment with a financial advisor and then told me that I would pay more into my pension in my 20s than I would at any other age because of the responsibilities I would have for my 30s going onwards. And I guess a little bit I had to take that with a pinch of salt because he didn't realise I already had a child at that time. <laughs> and I did, you know, I had, I had a child. So, you know, most people... They start children in their 30s, but 
I had my daughter when I was 23. So I already had those responsibilities. At the time, I was 24 years old with a one-year-old. And although Labour was in government during that time, and so financially I felt supported as a single mother and contributed more towards my pension back then. To be honest, it's only been the last five years that I've taken an interest in my pension, such as ensuring I make the most of the company benefits that are offered regarding pensions, calculating how much I would need to live off once I retired, and ensuring that my monthly contributions are aligned with that figure. And now that I'm self-employed, I still contribute towards my pension. Why only the last five years? Well... I remember my ex's mother, she had made poor financial decisions when she was younger, thinking that her children would take care of her when she got older. Now that she was older and in retirement age, her children could not support her financially because they had made, all of them had made the same poor financial decisions she had made when she was younger. And so now in her retirement age, she was struggling financially. So imagine being in your 60s, worrying about not having enough money all the time. I didn't want to live like that. And I didn't want to be a financial burden to my children in their adulthood. So I stopped looking at a pension as something I just paid into every month and included it in my financial planning. Because when I'm 60, <laughs> I'm going to be on a yacht, living my best life in a bikini, looking too good for my age. <laughs> so in this episode, I'm literally going to be talking about defined contribution pensions because that is the most common one used for personal and within the workplaces. So how much should you contribute towards your pension? So before you start increasing your payments into your pension, you'll need to work out how much you should be contributing towards it. To do this, you take your age and divide it by two. So for example, say you're 36 years old, divide 36 by two, that equals 18. So you should be contributing 18% towards your pension. This percentage is made up of both you and your employer's contributions. So for example, using 80% as a contribution amount, and this will be pre-tax income, your employer contributes say 6%. And so you'll need to contribute 12% of your pre-tax income. So let's say you're on a salary of 36,000 pounds you'll contribute £4,320 per year or £360 every month. Now, is there a limit to how much money you can have in your pension? No, but the amount you have in there does determine how much tax relief you are entitled to. Tax relief is when the funds in your pension that would normally be subjected to tax are exempt. If you're a basic rate taxpayer, you'll get 25% for every one pound you pay into your pension. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you can claim an additional 25% and you'll do this through your tax returns. So now we know what tax relief we're entitled to, let's see how that affects your pension. Tax relief is only applied to your annual earnings and not what you save. For instance, say that your annual savings are 30K a year, and you also have savings of 10,000 pounds, which you also pay into your pension. You'll only receive tax relief on the first 30K. For higher earners, there's a tax relief annual allowance, and you'll only receive tax relief up to 40,000 pounds. And this is the current annual allowance and the unused allowances for the last three years. So for example, you have invested £20,000 into your pension every year for the last three years. Now, this is £20,000 less than the annual allowance. You know, remember? 
This means this year you'd be able to invest £60,000. So that's £20,000 times three, plus your current annual allowance of £40,000, giving you a total of £100,000. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, look for me, um, send me a DM on IG, um, and I'll try and break it down. Sometimes it's always easier when you're reading it than listening. The third thing you should have on your financial plan is investing for your children. As with everything else in personal finance, investing in your children's future is a personal journey. Yes, it would be wise to start as early as possible, but life does not always show up that way. However, setting up a savings account for my children and saving for them every month only started around five years ago. At that time, there were 11 and six. I'm not ashamed of admitting that either. My main priority has always been setting myself up financially first because I wanted to be a rich bitch, <laughs> but also because I did not want to financially burden my children in their adult years. Also, during that time, I could only financially invest in one of us and it was going to be me. And once I had increased my income so I could invest in everyone's future, I immediately opened a junior stock and shares for both of them. And not only did I invest in shares for them, but I also taught them about investing too. Now they have the skills to invest in their own accounts and on their own. And just something I wanna make you aware of as well, like do not get bogged down with thoughts of wishing you had invested in your children's future earlier. There was no point in that. You did the best you could during that time. The next best time to invest for them is now. So here are some of the ways you can invest for your children. There's a junior ISA. Now a junior ISA, which is ISA stands for Individual Savings Account, is a tax-free savings account that parents or legal guardians can open on behalf of their child. The account has an annual limit, which is set by the government and can be invested in cash, stocks and shares, or a combination of both. The child can access the funds once they turn 18. Then you have the Child Trust Fund known as a CTF, is a long-term saving account for children born between the 1st of September and the 2nd of January 2011. The account was automatically set up by the government for eligible children and can be invested in cash or stocks and shares. The child can access the funds once they turn 18. Now, I know there's a lot of missing ones. Oh, my God, even me. <laughs> um, but all you have to do, if you go on the website, the government website, if you create a gateway account, if you haven't got one, and you put your details in and your child's details in of the one that you are um, looking to find their, their child trust fund. They will write back to you asking you for ID. And so you can send in like um, a copy of a, um, not you don't wanna send the actual one, the original, you wanna send in a copy of a birth certificate to them and they'll be able to send you details of the child trust fund. And then from there, you can, you can state where you wanna transfer it. If you wanna leave it in there, you know, um, if you wanna transfer it to uh, like a, maybe like a junior, a junior ISA, right? But it has to be somewhere where they can't access the funds until they're 18. Then the next one is investment trusts. Investment trusts are a type of investment company that pulls money from investors and invests in a range of assets such as shares, bonds and property. Investment trusts can be a good option for long-term investments as they tend to provide a steady income and can offer good returns over time. And another one for investing for your children is union trusts and open-ended investment companies. I like to call them OICs, so O-E-I-C. 
Um, unit trusts and OICs are similar to investment trusts, but they differ in the way they are structured. Both invest in a range of assets and are managed by a fund manager. Unit trusts are divided into units, while OICs are divided into shares. Then there's the premium bonds. And premium bonds are a government-backed savings product that offers the chance to win tax-free prizes every month. The bonds do not pay interest, but instead offer a chance to win prizes of between £25 and a million pounds. But please remember when investing for your children's future, it's important to consider your goals, time horizon and risk tolerance. And also there's is always risk. There's always a risk to invest in. Number four, what should be included in your financial plan is being debt free, at least high interest debt free. So getting out of high interest debt as part of your financial planning is one of the hardest milestones to achieve in your financial freedom journey because it's like, you know, exactly where you want to get to, but your past actions keep you in a chokehold until you've corrected them. And this is how high interest debt works. You'll find it difficult to move forward financially while still paying off that debt. However, not all debt is bad. The rich are continuously using debt for some of their purchases so they can use their money to fund other projects. And I've been in debt twice, but the second time was the hardest because I was homeless with limited income. The debt was crippling me because I didn't know what I owed. And I didn't realize at that time that I could dictate to the creditors that I was able to pay and not have them force me to pay an amount that I could not afford. Once I took action on those things, managing my debt became easier. And when I say when I took action, I mean that I spoke to the creditors and I told them, no, this is how much I'm gonna pay. I wanted to create a payment plan with you guys and this is how much I can afford until my income changes. Um, and I think that's a lot better than going through IVAs, declaring yourself bankrupt, because those things stick on your file. And I always find that when you stop, when you get rid of your debt, your money catapults, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter if you increase your income or not. The fact that you've got now this disposable income, you'll find your, you'll get to your saving goals a lot quicker. And so if you're one of those mums who you don't own your own home and you wanna buy one, you don't wanna get stuck in an IVA or declare yourself bankrupt because it takes years for that to come off your credit report. And that doesn't stop you from getting a mortgage. You don't need a good report, uh, credit report to get a mortgage. However, you need a good credit report to get the best mortgage deals. Um, if you don't have a great credit report and you're looking to get a mortgage, your interest rate on your mortgage is gonna be ridiculous. Um, those monthly payments will just be unaffordable. Um, so, you know, be brave. Don't let the these debt collectors <laughs> um, bully you into paying an amount that you do not feel comfortable paying or you cannot afford to pay. Um, make sure you dictate your terms, but make sure you stick to it and make sure you find ways of increasing your income so you can really clear those debts as quickly as possible. The high interest ones anyway. So the high interest debt is things like your store cards, credit cards, catalog accounts, overdrafts, et cetera, that have ridiculous, ridiculous interest rates. And the quicker you pay them off, the better you'll be. When clearing your debts, there are a few methods that are great for tackling these. The debt avalanche method, this is where you put your debts in order based on the interest rates. The debt with the highest interest is at the top of the list with the lowest interest rate at the bottom. And then you will pay off the debt with the highest interest 
first and work your way through the list until all the debts are paid off. To implement this, you would pay more than a minimum on the highest interest debt and then pay the minimum payment on all the other debts. You will continue like this until all of your debts are cleared. This would suit someone who is motivated by money and numbers. Then there's the debt snowball method. Now, this is where you list your debts based on the amounts owed from smallest to highest. Then you will pay more than the minimum payment on the smallest debt and pay the minimum payment only on the other debts. You continue like this until all your debts are cleared. For example, your debts could be a credit card of £500, another credit card of £1,000 and a loan of £2,500. For credit card one, the minimum payment is £35 per month. For the second credit card, the minimum payment is £65 per month. And for the loan, the minimum payment is £150 per month. After creating your budget, you'll pay £35 plus an additional £25 on credit card one. And you'll only pay the minimum payments on credit card two and the loan. Once the credit card one is paid off, you'll then pay the minimum payment of £65 on the second credit card plus the £35 and the £25 that you was paying on the first credit card, those payments will go on to credit card two. And then you'll pay the minimum payment on the loan. And you'll continue like that until you finish paying all the debts off. So you can see from the example that once credit card once one was paid off, you use the money that you would have used to pay for credit card one all on credit card two. And this is why it's called the snowball method. This suits someone who's motivated by quick success. Now, debt usually brings on anxiety and everyone does not manage debt the same, same as everyone does not go through life the same. And it doesn't matter how logical and practical the other two methods are. If you have a debt that is causing anxiety, then that is the one you should get rid of first. And do it as quickly as possible. The more you work on it, the more peace you will find and soon the anxiety will no longer be there. Whatever works for you, seriously, just choose one to get rid of first and then attack it till it's no more. There is no right or wrong answer here, only what's right for you. The aim is to eliminate all of the high interest debt so you can start focusing on your financial freedom future. Because high interest debt always has you looking at the past. You can't move forward until it's eliminated. And here are some tips on getting rid of these as soon as possible. Before you do anything in your journey, clear debt, make more money, whatever. The first thing you need to do is build an emergency fund. And when you're dealing with your debts, you wanna build an, you don't need to have three to six months worth of expenses saved in your emergency fund when you're saving up, when you're trying to clear your debts. You wanna have an amount that feels comfortable for now. So the figures used to be like a thousand pounds, but everyone varies. And so I would say anything between 500 and 1,000 pounds saved. Um, and I'm talking in pounds, but just change the, the currency to whatever you use on a daily basis. But the amount still stands between 500 and 1,000. Um, but as I said again, save an amount that feels comfortable for you. So if you feel that 1,000 pounds will cover possible emergencies, then so be it, and then get straight onto tackling those debts. You wanna put your debts in order. Get to know your debts. Who do you owe and how much? What are the interest rates on them all? Which debt method will you be using? Then throw everything you have at the first one while only paying minimum payments on the rest. 
call your creditors up and request for interest rates to be frozen or refunded. They're doing this now more than ever now that we're in a recession. Um, and actually, for those who have really bad, you know, who doesn't have a good credit credit rating and you can't get those 0% interest deals, your best bet is calling up the credit card companies and saying, can you freeze the interest? This is snowballing out of control. I cannot afford it. Can you please freeze the interest? Try and get it frozen for like six months and then call back again in six months say look my financial situation hasn't changed can we continue freezing the interest i had a client do that um and yeah it worked um now that's saying i have to do this for disclaimer they don't have to accept the request but as i said before in a time such as this i think they'd be more than happy to accept than lose out on not being paid back at all Last one you should have on your list is life insurance. Now, life insurance for single moms is so important. I've always had life insurance because I didn't want the person named in my will who would take care of my children in the event of an early death to be burdened with the financial responsibility of taking care of my children. I wanted them to grieve, to grieve me well, without worrying about finances because it would enable them to be present for my children without resentment which is a normal feeling to have when taking care of someone else's responsibilities that they have failed to prepare for. <laughs> so they would already have enough on their hands to go from a single person with no dependence to a single person with the responsibility of taking to take care of two children overnight. I think it's very selfish for you not to have life insurance in place. I really do. I feel like if um, you are, um, you know, if you've asked someone to take care of your children in the event of a death and you've not decided to take up life insurance or you've got no kind of means of um, helping them so that they don't have to worry about your funeral costs because that's already covered. They don't have to worry about taking care of the children financially because you've already covered that. Then it's very selfish for you um, to not have that. Life insurance is a type of insurance policy that pays out a lump, a lump sum of money to your beneficiaries. Um, to your children that could be held in a trust for them in the event of your death. Now, there are two main types of life insurance policies in the UK. I'm talking about the UK only. Um, if you're anywhere else in the world, I would research your life insurance, what the policies are um, and what you're entitled to. So as I said, there are two main types of life insurance policies in the UK. There's term life insurance and a whole of life insurance. So the term life insurance policies provide coverage for a specific period of time, such as 10 or 20 years. And if you pass away during this period, your beneficiaries will receive a lump sum payout. If you live beyond the policy, then a payout will not be made. Whole of life insurance policies provide coverage for the entirety of your life, as long as you continue to pay the premiums. This type of policy is often more expensive than term life insurance, but it does provide lifelong protection and a guaranteed payout to your beneficiaries. Life insurance policies can be purchased directly from the provider or through a broker. Me personally, I prefer brokers because they will research the best policies for you and your particular needs. For instance, now I'm self-employed, I have added critical illness to my life insurance policy for instance now i'm self-employed i've added critical illness to my life insurance policy just in case i'm unable to work due to an illness which will impact my family and me financially if this does happen it will pay out as a cash sum which will help buffer my emergency fund 
My policy also covers funeral costs too. As I mentioned before, I didn't want my family to have to think about anything. All they have to do is follow a set of instructions to access my funds and manage my funeral. It's important that when sourcing your life insurance, you let the person know who would be responsible for your children in the event of your death. Let them know where these documents are stored, how much the payout will be and what it will cover. I know these types of conversations are not happy ones, but the relief you and the other person would feel at that moment, knowing that they are, knowing that you are fully prepared, takes a lot of the burden off their shoulders. You want them to be able to parent. The reason why you've asked them is because you feel like they are, um, they would be good guardians for your children. But you also know how stressful life can be if you're worrying about money. And I always feel like you can't be the best parent if you're always worried about money. Um, and, and that's why it's, you know, you want to make sure that your children are able to grieve properly um, and not having money to work, not having um, to worry about money alleviates that. And it just means that the guardians or the people you've chosen to be guardians can be present for your children um grieving unfortunately is a privilege especially if you're broke um so um let's give these people the privilege by taking out life insurance i know i'm bagging on it by it but it, i just feel it's um irresponsible to not have it especially if you're a parent now financial planning for a single mum is so critical, no matter where you are in your financial freedom journey, because achieving each of these milestones has created freedom beyond financial means. I can plan with clarity beyond the day-to-day, -day, like traveling the world with my children, and I feel as though I'm my own financial security blanket. It means I can give more, such as paying for someone shopping if they can't afford it and having spare time to help others for free. I'm no longer whining about my future when I retire. And it meant that I'm able to take bigger risks, such as when I quit my job two years ago and built a business so that I could be there more for my family. As Cher once said, mum, I am a rich man. <laughs> Which one of these milestones are you currently working towards? Hey guys, thank you for listening to the podcast today. If you're wanting to build wealth in your own way, you can download my Single Mom 5-Step Guide to Financial Freedom to help motivate you. The link to download is in this episode's description.